Welcome to Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written. This is where we answer your Bible questions. Temptation is not sin. It's when we yield ourselves to that thing. That's when it becomes sin. I believe what this is, and I'm going to trust you. So what prophecies were they studying that helped them know when the Messiah would come? That's a good question. And I think we've got a pretty good answer for you here. Welcome to Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written. I'm John Bradshaw. With me is Wes Peppers, and we're here to answer Bible questions that have been submitted to us here at It Is Written. Each question is an actual question from an actual viewer, and uh, we're excited to have the opportunity to share what we hope and pray will be light on your pathway, help you understand um, God and the Bible and your role in God's plan just a little bit more. Wes, great to have you here. Thank you. Good to be here. Are you ready to go? Ready to go. I think we're ready. we got some good questions in this episode. Yes, we do. Mm-hmm. This question is from David. Why do we continue to experience doubts in our Christian life as if God is not hearing our prayers? You know what I would say to that? Why do we continue to experience doubts? It's because we choose to. Mm-hmm. You experience doubts, David, because you choose to experience doubt. Does God exist? Yes. No, wait, wait. Does God exist? Hmm. Okay, see? You chose to doubt that. Is God working in your life? Oh, man, I know. Okay, you chose that. You could say, yes, God is working in my life, and I have evidence for that, and the Bible tells me that he is, and so I absolutely believe it. Now, sometimes you pray and ask a prayer, oh, Lord, we want grandma to get well and grandma doesn't. Oh, I want my puppy to come back. The, the dog is lost and gone forever. Oh, I lost my job. I'd really need some money. And you don't get some money for a little while. Well, you don't need to doubt God. Believe God the more and know that God is faithful. So my answer is we experience doubts because we choose to. What would you add to that? I would agree with that. And, you know, God doesn't cause us to doubt. He gives the opportunity to choose to doubt. Now, the devil gives the invitation to doubt. Yes. So we want to make sure that we're not choosing that invitation. But in order to maintain our freedom of choice, God has to give us the opportunity. So just like he placed the tree in the Garden of Eden, the the knowledge of good and evil, and he gave them the opportunity to choose, so he chooses to give us freedom of choice. Now, what's interesting about that is that God gives us all the reasons that to choose not to doubt. Yes. I mean, every reason to choose not to doubt is there. But he doesn't take away every last eventuality, That's right? right? He, he can't he do that. He, yeah. he won't do that because he wants us to have that freedom. Yeah. And so the, the best thing to do is to fill your mind with the confidence of Scripture, the answers to Scripture, the hope that's in Scripture. And the more that we fill our minds with Christ, the, the less we're going to be tempted to choose. But the devil is always going to give the invitation God would give the opportunity, but he wants us to choose not to doubt. And we have every confidence in the world to do so. Yes, yes. The Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith. Faith Mm -hmm. is the evidence of things not seen. It's also the substance of things hoped for. So if faith is the evidence of things not seen, you are praying that your, your, your sibling will get out of the hospital in a day or two. You don't have any actual proof or evidence that's going to happen. But you're praying and you're believing by faith that your family member will be healed. Um, The Bible says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We are saved by grace through faith. Don't doubt. Have faith in God because God is 
God. We have a question for you from Ryan. How do you learn to live by faith and not relying on your own merits? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question because none of this comes naturally to us. Uh, Ryan, the faith experience is a growing experience. And when God gets hold of you, you are what you are. Maybe you are a very um, self-motivated and self-sufficient kind of a person, used to solving all your own problems and figuring out all your own conundrums. But what you do is you learn more and more and more to live by faith. And you learn that by taking the Bible as your rule of faith and practice, getting the Bible into your head, reading the Bible, reprogramming your mind, where you find a little failure, oh, I didn't lean on the Lord there. You you take that on board. You pray about it. You you grow. I wish I could tell you we could just snap snap our fingers and everything's going to be okay. But even in matters of faith, it's not. It's a growing and a learning experience. That's right. That's right. And you know, he also kind of asks here, how do you know that you can't live by your own merits unless you try those things? Well, it only takes you one time of trying and failing to know you can't do it. So you don't have to keep on that repetitive path of failing to know, I can't do this alone. I need a strength and a power outside of myself. I need the power of God. And so, you know, our own merits mean nothing. Even any good that we can do is typically done with a selfish intent. Mm -hmm. Our hearts are corrupted. We need new hearts. We need to walk by faith and trust the merits of Christ. He's the only one that has merits that are uncorrupted. Our own works are evil without him living in the life. But with him, we can live a righteous life, and we can walk in a way that God approves of hey, so, I, I, as I would, Jesus lives in us. Yeah, I would really recommend you go read read the Bible, read the book of Romans, read Romans chapter 7 where Paul is wrestling and he, and he realizes that in his own strength he can't do anything right. Uh, you read where the Bible says the just shall live by faith. You read where the Bible says in uh, Romans 8 and verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk after the flesh, uh, not after the flesh, but after the spirit. You read John 5 verse 30, I believe it is, where Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. You read it again and again and again and again, you'll be convinced, absolutely convinced, that you don't want to rely on yourself. You need the righteousness of Christ. Our own righteousness is filthy rags. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, you read Philippians chapter 3, speaks about that some more. You'll get it. You'll get it. You just read and pray and read and pray. And you know, we told you, in in and of our own selves, we can do nothing. We've got to rely on Jesus. That's the essence of Christianity. Your theory, it may be good. Uh, Let's give you the benefit of the doubt. It's good. Your doctrinal beliefs, yes, very good. But experientially, we want to grow in living not leaning on our own understanding and by our own wits, but living, leaning completely on Jesus. Abide in me and I in you. You learn to abide in Christ and be prepared to grow. Be patient with yourself as you grow. Okay, question from Leona. I always believed that when the unsaved were sent to hell, it would be over eventually. Revelation 20 says that some will be tormented forever and ever. How is that? I'm confused. Well, there's a passage also in Revelation uh, 14 that says that the smoke ascends forever. Forever and ever, yeah. But also in Revelation 20, it very clearly says that the wicked are consumed. They are devoured by fire. Devoured. That's right. But it's the effect of that destruction, the second death, that lasts forever. 
And so there's not a torment of each individual person forever and ever. They are destroyed. Now, while that that's, that um, separation is happening between them and God, that everlasting darkness that comes upon them, that's going to feel like an eternity of suffering. But the the suffering doesn't last forever. The Bible is very clear about this. Also, in Malachi chapter uh, 4, it talks about the wicked being turned into ashes. It says it in the Psalms. It says it in numerous places. Yeah, the, numerous. The, the effect of the destruction is forever. The actual event of the destruction, the punishment, it's not punishing, it's punishment. It's an act that happens one time, and the effects are always. Imagine with me a universe in which the sovereign God tortures people, tortures people forever and ever and ever. Relatively well-known evangelical preacher wrote a book about hell. The conclusion was basically like, I don't know why God would want to burn people forever, but if he does, that's up to him. him. Well, fortunately, he doesn't want to burn people forever. That's not his... Can you imagine God getting a thrill or satisfaction or whatever from knowing that our grandmothers are frying in hell, writhing in agony, and there's nothing that can be done, and it happens forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And by the way, that would mean that God would have to recreate them because surely fire would would destroy. So he'd have to keep remaking them and extending them more nerves and and, and so forth. There are authors that have said that very thing in books. It's madness. It's crazy. Yeah. That came out of the theological seminary that the devil is is the chancellor of. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, Romans chapter 6, and the gift of God is eternal life. Now, if people are burning forever, they would have eternal life. Yeah. That wouldn't be pleasant, but it would be eternal life. But the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Not only that, if burning for eternity in hell is the penalty for sin, then Jesus would have to experience that. Yes. But Jesus died on the cross. He, He experienced a... A, a separation from his father that felt like eternity, but yet he felt that in a moment, and he died, and then he resurrected. So the wages of sin is death, the Bible says, not everlasting burning. This is something I find really interesting. There are people who will have heard what we just said, and we think it, 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 it portrays that God is love. God is just. The wicked will be destroyed. Right? We believe that. Yeah, of course. They'll be destroyed. They're just not going to burn forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. There are people who love the doctrine of eternally burning hell, and they'll defend it as though their life depended on it. They'll they'll rise up and call you absolute heretic and a dangerous person theologically because you don't believe it goes forever and ever and ever and ever. Frankly, I think teaching that is kind of dangerous because it's made atheists out of who knows how many people? Unnecessarily. People get really defensive about this, mm-hmm. as though you aren't a genuine Christian, yes. because you won't yes. believe God tortures people forever and ever. It doesn't undermine the judgment of God Not at on all. sin. It doesn't undermine, uh, it doesn't make it seem like God views sin lightly. It doesn't undermine hell in itself. It's just a hell hot enough to get the job done. And, you know, any fire that once it accomplishes its purpose, it goes out. If my house catches on fire, it may burn for many hours, 
but eventually it does what it's doing and then it goes out there's nothing left to burn and the bible says very clearly the wicked will be turned into ashes malachi chapter 4 and uh following that there's nothing left to burn it seems quite cruel for then to god god to snap his finger and recreate that person and say let's do it again yeah over and over it's just it's just unfathomable yeah i would i would appeal to you to use your reasoning your common sense but most importantly, your Bible. And go through the Bible and read what the Bible actually says about hell. Now, if, if you are not convinced and you'd like further information, look on itiswritten.tv. You'll find presentations there. Or call us, 800-253-3000, and ask for our resource called Understanding Hell. 800-253-3000. We'll send it to you absolutely free. Call up and say, been watching line upon line. They told me to call and ask for a resource called Understanding Hell. And we'll get that to you. Because it's time that people didn't relate to God out of fear and terror and, and feeling like God is a despot and a dictator and tyrannical, which is what he would be Yes, if he burned people forever That's right. and ever and ever. If you have a question for us, we'd love you to get it to us. Our address is line upon line at IIW.org. That's line upon line at IIW.org. We'd love to hear from you. We'll do our best to answer your Bible question with a Bible answer. With Wes Peppers, I'm John Bradshaw. This is Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written. We'll be right back. The idea continues to fill people with dread. People all around the world live in fear of hell. But what did Jesus say about it? What does the Bible actually say about hell? And how can we separate the fact from the fiction? Join me in the beautiful Caribbean for To Hell and Back. We'll go to hell and we'll come back. And while we're there, we'll discover what the Word of God actually says about this vitally important subject. Is it as bad as people think? Maybe it's worse. Or perhaps, perhaps God has a special message in the Bible, enabling us to see the love of God even in the fires of hell. Don't miss To Hell and Back. Brought to you by It Is Written TV. Every Word is a one-minute Bible-based daily devotional presented by Pastor John Bradshaw and designed especially for busy people like you. Look for Every Word on selected networks or watch it online every day on our website, itiswritten.com. Welcome back to Line Up Online, brought to you by It Is Written. I'm John Bradshaw with Wes Peppers and a stack of questions that have come from you or somebody just like you. These are questions from It Is Written viewers. We are thrilled to be able to answer them. Wes, Letitia writes, I was reading Hebrews chapter 6, it sounds to me in verses 4 through 6 that if you walk away from God, which I did at the age of 15, that it's useless to start anew. I hope I'm wrong. Why don't we read the verses? Do you like me to do that? Yeah, sure. Do let's that. do that. Hebrews 6, starting in verse 4, it is impossible. That's strong. 
For those who are once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, it's impossible, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Well... Yeah, that seems pretty harsh. And, yeah. you know, you and I have both had countless people come to us and say, I, I'm afraid that I'm lost forever because of this verse, and yeah. they've often pointed to that. But take hope. The context here is those who have fallen away and continue to fall away. They're going in a direction that is separating them from God, and they don't have any interest in relenting from that. If you're nervous about this, it means the Holy Spirit has brought conviction to your heart and he's seeking to lead you back to him. So this is not talking, oh, you've committed some sin that you can't recover from or, or you left the Lord for a season and, and now you've realized the foolishness of that and you want to come back and God says, oh, nope, sorry. So, Letitia, I'm glad to, to say here, you said, I hope I'm wrong and you are wrong. The truth is that you do have the opportunity to come back to God. It's If God is moving upon your heart, he's leading you to repentance. He wants you to come back. He's pleading for you to come back. And if you're so inclined by the grace of God to do that, he'll receive you with open arms. This is just referring to people that keep going in that direction and say, Nope, no thank you. I know God offers me a gift, but I'm not interested. Amen. Diana writes, what exactly is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what is the evidence? What do you say? Yeah, the evidence is, you know, several things. Many people like to say, oh, the evidence for receiving the Holy Spirit is working miracles or speaking in tongues. Gifts. Hey, you know what? Years and years ago, I was holding a series of meetings in a little town in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. There was this lovely lady attending. Oh, I don't know. Was she 35 or 40? Something like that. And, uh had a great job, just had a good head on her shoulders, just a really nice lady. And she just casually mentioned to me in conversation, I am not saved. Mm. What? Mm. Yeah, I will, I will not go to heaven. I thought, what in the world? She looked like such a nice person. Maybe she's got some yeah. dark secrets. She was active in her church and so forth. I had to ask, why are you canceled? Why did God cancel you? She said, because I don't speak in tongues. Mm. And therefore, I don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Devastating. Yeah. yeah. Devastating. I've had, I've had similar people and they're worried about it, but I'm thankful for their honesty because I had another lady who told me I faked it for 40 years wow. to try to generate something true. And she said, I'm worried about my salvation. But thank God, salvation is not by spiritual gifts or speaking in tongues, it's yep. by His grace given to you. Now, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit gives us a spiritual gift or more than one when we receive Him. But those gifts are different for everyone. You can read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and, and Ephesians chapter uh, 4 or 5, and there's multiple uh, passages that talk about the gifts. The evidence that I possess the Holy Spirit that can be visible by every Christian is the fruits of the Spirit Amen. in Galatians uh, chapter 5. And it lists those. And those are the things that we're looking for as evidence of the Holy Spirit not a gift or a feeling or something else, but the fruits. As you were saying that, I was turning there in my mm -hmm. Bible. Absolutely. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law, and they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, 
let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that you'll never have a bad day because mm-hmm. you're growing as a Christian and there are times that you may, you may slip and do something that you regret. Don't think suddenly I'm actually a lost Christian after all. You keep your eyes on Jesus and be prepared to go. You'll often have to wage stern, hard battles with your old sinful self. The evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a changed life. God may give you gifts, will, will give you gifts of the Spirit, but don't think that you have to see this one or that one or some certain one in order to feel that there is evidence that you have the Spirit of God or that the Spirit of God has you. Okay, we've got a... uh, question from Steve who asks what does Matthew 10:28 mean do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell that's Steve's question what does that mean well i think it means just what it says it means that god has the ability to and in hell will destroy both the the, the entire person the body and the soul body and breath a body and breath that's right and but he says don't fear men men have the ability to kill the body but what he's saying is god has a much higher sovereignty than men and man can only do to you what god allows and so don't fear men especially when we're thinking of speaking for the truth you know i think of martin luther who stood up basically against the whole world yes against princes and kings and emperors and other you know cardinals and so forth and he said i want the truth to be known and so the point is, live for God without fearing what others are going to think of you. It doesn't really matter what other people think of you. What matters is what God thinks of you. And he's the one with the sovereign power over and in your life. So fear him. Don't fear men. That doesn't mean go out and be obnoxious and foolish and, and careless and irresponsible. But it means follow the truth of God no matter what men think of you and leave the results with him. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Bill asks, I work in healthcare. We are frequently doing more and more routine cases on the Sabbath day. I'm conflicted about this. Should I stay in my current employment or look for another position where I wouldn't have to work on weekends? Bill, um, we're encouraged you're asking the question because you're thinking and you're thinking about spiritual things. What we can't do is tell you what to do. Now, I know you're not saying... Tell me what to do, O oh wise ones. I get that. You're looking for counsel to guide you. Here's the counsel. Pray and do what you feel God is impressing you to do. Did Jesus work in a healing capacity on the Sabbath day? Certainly did. He did. Now, can you imagine what would happen if all people who work in the healing arts, and I use that in the positive term, decided that they wouldn't roll into the hospital on Saturday? Well, either God would work a great miracle or we'd have bedlam. So somebody needs to be doing certain things on that day. Otherwise, maybe people die or they don't get their treatment. That doesn't mean it has to be you. So were you to say, I feel okay about being there on the Sabbath? I would say, Bill, please be careful, because even though you're doing something that's healing and appropriate, you don't want to be away from worship and away from your family and and missing the blessing of the Sabbath routinely. If it's an exception, I get that. I get that. But you don't want the exception to become the rule. It's a difficult one. We're not all faced with this. I think there's no crime or, or sin committed when somebody decides, I will, um, I'll, I'll be a nurse or I'll be a doctor or I'll be a, um, an essential 
If you're the janitor, that's not essential. I'll be an essential person because we're saving lives. Um, there may be time for that. But if you're doing it every week, mm-hmm. before long, the Sabbath's not yeah. the Sabbath, you yeah. see. You've that's guided right. people. What have you said to them about this? I've had people say to me, Pastor John, that they say, well, I've got to work that Sabbath because I get overtime. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so, or oh. double time. And that's certainly something you don't want to be doing. And what I've counseled people to do is try to get it off. You know, you may have to, they may say, well, we'll, we need you to work one a month. Well, okay, but try to get it off. Sometimes they'll say, we need you on the fourth Sabbath every month. But if you can find somebody else to trade with you, trade with, do that. Often you can, often you can. Do that. Yeah. And so do what you can to get it off. I probably wouldn't be the first to volunteer every time for a Sabbath. But if they need you, they need you. Go and do it. I, I had another friend who was a nurse, and they said, I try to get it off, but when I can't, I take the money that I earn and I give it to some mission project. Mm. That's another option to say, you know what? I'm not going to use that money to pay my bills. I'm going to use it for God. I need to help care for these people. So there's different ways to handle it, but sometimes you might have to do it. But you try to, you try to take the best option available to you that still honors God as much as possible Knowing you're not breaking the Sabbath if you need to do it or if you have to do it, uh, but it's not ideal, but sometimes it's necessary. So do the best you can with it. Trust God, and he'll lead you. Awesome. Joe sends us a really interesting one. When the children of Israel didn't have water, they grumbled and complained against God and Moses. They got the water, but were scolded for grumbling. But what should they have done? Running out of water is a big deal. Joe is saying, you can hardly blame them for grumbling because they were in a rough place. Boy, if that were our rationale, we could grumble every time things get tough. It wasn't the grumbling. It was the lack of faith in God. They were in the wilderness and God was leading them. They had a pillar of fire at night. They had a pillar of cloud by day. God had opened up the Red Sea. He carpeted it at one stage, carpeted the ground with food so that in the morning the food just appeared on the ground. They shouldn't have grumbled. They should have had faith. Now, they're going to recognize, oh, we're in a tough spot right here. But um, it, it was the lack of faith that they manifested that was the issue. There's never a reason to manifest a lack of faith in God. There's not. You know, God was teaching them that in every need they had, he wanted them to look to him. That was, that was the whole point. Yep. It, with everything, that the, every trouble they ran into, it wasn't so much, oh, this trouble is too big or too bad. Let's look to God in our trouble, and God will provide the solution rather than taking it on ourselves. They were in a boat on yes. the Sea of Galilee. Yes. It was a storm. Yes. boat was sinking. The Bible says they were in jeopardy, and Jesus said, you, you have little faith. Mm-hmm. They said, don't you care that we're perishing? You don't even care about us. He said, you have little faith. Wow, that was serious. No, but Jesus was with them. Yes. They could have just looked and said, there's the Son of God right there. It's going to be interesting, but I know he'll look after us because after all, he said, we're going to go to the other side of the lake. God said, we're going to the promised land. There's no food and no water and we're hungry and thirsty. We can expect a miracle because God said we are going. God never promised a beachfront uh, luxury time on his journey either. That's right. You may have to go hungry a little bit. You may have to do without, but at the time when it matters the most, he's going to come through. Quick one, and this is from Jeff. Genesis 50, Joseph died before his brothers. Could it be because of Joseph's diet while in prison and while prime minister? After all, he lost about 20 years of home-cooked meals. Maybe you're right. 
But maybe not. Maybe. We can be pretty sure that Joseph ate quite well. Mm-hmm. He was, after all, yeah. the prime minister of Egypt. Mm-hmm. He would have eaten the right stuff, the good mm-hmm. stuff that God approves of. We don't know the answer to that question. It was a lack of kale and quinoa salad? Could have been. Hey, thanks for your questions. Thank you, Wes. Thank you, John. Been great fun. We'll hope you'll join us again for more. Email us your questions, line up online at iiw.org. With Wes Peppers, I'm John Bradshaw. This has been Line Up Online.